Rutgers legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today's guest, I have the pleasure of welcoming back one of the OG Chasing Poker Greatness guests, the always thoughtful, genuine, and incredibly hardworking Lyle Bateman. Lyle is a former contributing editor at Poker News Canada who's a self-professed computer streaming geek who quite recently snagged a streaming sponsorship deal with Unibet Poker. He and I are about to dive deep on his new gig writing at PokerFuse and Lyle's thoughts and emotions surrounding his good friend Vanessa Cade's storybook-like $1.5 million victory at the 15th anniversary PokerStars Sunday Million. In today's thoughtful and greatness bomb dripping conversation with Lyle Bateman, you're going to learn what Lyle has been up to since Poker News Canada closed up shop, how he's navigated the ups and downs of being on the media side since live poker has been shut down, how Lyle has doubled his streaming audience in the past year, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you the always thoughtful and amazing Lyle Bateman. Lyle, good morning, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Good morning to you, Brad. Good to see you. Nice to see you as well. It's been quite a long time since you've been on the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. I believe you were guest number five. Now you'll be, I don't know what guest number this will be, but somewhere in the order of 140 or so. I've seen you put out a ton of content over the last little while, and I've, I've enjoyed all of the stuff that I've had a chance to, had a chance to see. I, I have to admit, I have not been able to catch all 140 of your episodes, but um, uh, I've got... I've got a fair number of them. <laughs> How dare you, Lyle? I know, How dare I know, right? you? Um, to be fair, maybe I just like listening to the sound of my own voice and that's how I'm able to put out so many, you know, I, I think really, I, I just love doing them. That's uh, yeah. that, that's my secret. It's not really much of a secret. It's that I love having these conversations with interesting human beings and I could just do it all day long, I guess, if, uh, if I so chose. So since the last time we talked, uh, you were the managing editor at Poker News Canada. So I guess, you know, if you want to talk about what happened there and then what you've been up to in the meantime. Right. Well, yeah. So that's, that's been some, that's been some changes, uh, since then. Uh, yeah, we talked, uh, like 18 months ago or something like that, I think. Um, and I just taken over Poker News Canada from, uh, Henderson at that point to run it as the managing editor. I guess kind of unbeknownst to me behind the scenes, uh, Poker News Global was sort of ramping down their uh, regional sub subdomains uh, in a lot of the markets uh, anyways. And I sort of had I sort of had some inkling of that as it was coming in and I sort of you know knew that they hadn't been giving it the same support they, they had been previously. Um, so at the beginning of 2020, I guess it was, uh, January, 2020 was the last, uh, month I was, uh, editor there the last month that anything happened there, as far as I know, 
uh, anything directly. They didn't shut down all of the regional subdomains in January 2020, but most of the smaller market ones, which Canada is obviously one of the uh, one of the examples. So I think you can still find places like uk.pokenews.com, but a lot of the smaller uh, subdomains got got just either turned off or just left essentially dormant as you know placeholders for local content kind of thing. Yeah. So what'd you do when? Poker News Canada kind of died on the vine. What was your next move in the poker space? Well, to start with, I didn't really do much of a move. I mean, I was doing some social media work with a, uh, well, Lane, the former editor of Poker News Canada, has, uh, runs a social media firm, a uh, marketing firm called uh, London Road Media in a city close to me. And I was doing some work with him on the po- on his poker files as well. Uh, so that was, that was filling some of my time and I ramped up, uh, on my, um, on my stream as well. I mean, part of the plan, I mean, this happened at, uh, January of 2020. So nobody really knew what was in store for the, for the world at that point. Right. We were all still kind of oblivious to, yeah, to, yeah. Harbinger. to 2020 was just going to be another, just another year in that, in our yeah. lives. Right. Poker News Canada is a, uh, harbinger <laughs> of the things to come in the following months. It, it seemed that way. So I was actually uh, on a Pokers Global uh, trip to Dublin to cover the Unibet Open series there and played in the UK Tour London in late February, early March of 2020. And my sort of thought at that point was, well, yeah, Pokers Canada has has gone, uh, but, you know, there's there's... I'm doing a lot of live reporting for for Poker News, and you know, so there's so there's things that there that there's things to do there. Um, and I, you know, I had to I had a gig in in Dublin and had a great time, had a great time covering that, and it was a it was a good time. Uh, then of course I flew home uh, on an actual COVID flight. Believe it or not, I I, I realized after I got home that the uh, the entire flight, like it wasn't just this block of seats had an infected person; it was the entire flight was was infected uh, wow. apparently yeah it, it was like all seats affected by 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 this morning uh so i had to quarantine myself i had to self-isolate for 14 days when i got back from uh from that trip from did Dublin. you get covid no i was uh i was i was clear enough to go uh well i shouldn't actually give that a hard stop no i should give that i'm pretty sure it's a hard stop. No, I didn't actually get tested because at the time testing was still very, there, there weren't a lot of tests and they weren't, you know, uh, it was basically if you were dying in a hospital, they would give you a test, but they didn't really, you know, or if you had really serious symptoms, they would give you a test, but they didn't want to be like testing the whole population kind of thing. Uh, so even though I was exposed, I didn't really have symptoms. So I decided not to sort of burden things and not get a test, but I, after two weeks I was fine and I haven't developed any sort of, so I either had a very mild case that I got over very quickly or I did not get it at all. Man, it's hard for me to imagine you avoiding the bullet on a plane of recirculated air where right? everybody has COVID except for you. Like that's right? that's a pretty <laughs> – talk it, about like just being a fly on the wall. <laughs> um, I can imagine you, you were pretty I – guess, I guess maybe you didn't even know in the moment what the situation was, but thinking back on it, that's like uh, – a crazy yeah. experience well and i think i mean so the the way it was worded when i got home and looked at my flight was that all seats were potentially affected by positive case 
What that actually tells me is that one of the flight attendants, one of the flight crew probably tested positive. Now, I don't know that for sure, mm-hmm. but it seems likely that if they're saying that the entire cabin is potentially uh, at risk, though, the one way they can know that is if one of their flight crew tested because the flight crews through the entire cabin all, all through the flight, right? So. Right, and testing was so limited back then that yeah. most everybody on the test prob- or on the plane probably did not have a test themselves. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think back on it. I think back on it now, and I'm just like, I don't know how you, I don't know how you dodged that bullet. I mean, I was actually sitting beside, and I can remember, like, I was so naive at the time. I, I wasn't even really taking it seriously. Still, when I was flying back from CAF, to be honest with that, I wasn't taking it as seriously as I should have. And I, I got into my seat, and I was sitting beside. Like I was by myself and it was the three, three metal seats. So I was sitting beside two, uh, a couple who were, who were together. Um, and they were both wearing masks. And when I sat down, the, the, the lady uh, in the couple was pulling out alcohol swipes and swabbing down the wall of the plane in front of us and the handles and, you know, all the, all the armrests. And, and I was like, I was polite, but in my head, I was kind of giggling about how, you know, how crazy she was, she was, she was going over this, over this, you know, flu basically that was, that was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, took me, it didn't take me long to change my attitude after, after I came back. But at that point I was still, I was still treating it very cavalierly. So yeah, I kind of, kind of surprised that I actually dodged that bullet because I wasn't wearing a mask. I didn't, you know, I didn't wipe anything down. I was just, I was just, I treated it like a normal thing plate. Well, you're very lucky that you had her near you. That was yeah, yeah, <laughs> wiping was, everything she was, down. She, she she took care of you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. She was taking care of me, so I, you know, I appreciate that. <laughs> um. So, you know, once once Poker News Canada kind of winded down, and the pandemic became became a full blown thing, just everywhere, and we started quarantining. What? What did you do? How did you spend your time? Was poker a large part of your quarantine experience? Yeah, poker ended up being a huge part of that. I mean, I basically I poured all my uh, uh, poured all my time into uh, my stream uh, over on Unibet Poker, uh, well, the, the, the Twitch stream, running it as Mothership Poker, and I've been I had sort of run it as a labor of love for 2019. Uh, you know, as I was kind of building a small, kind of building a small bankroll um, over there. 2020, I started to really take it a lot more seriously. Uh, well, Unibet sponsored me with some bonus points every month to help me, help me with my, you know, help me with my bankroll stuff. Uh, How did you get that? Like that? How did you get that gig? Dumbass luck, as far as I can tell. Uh, <laughs> no, just, just uh, 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 basically, I think that they were looking for um, extra content. Ian Simpson was the only one that was really doing any direct content for unibet and i think they're looking to expand that group um there was one other person a woman by the name of lulu that was brought on at roughly the same time as me uh but yeah ian simpson just sort of popped up on my facebook and said hey how would you like to uh, uh how would you like to get some bonus points from unibet every month for streaming and i was like is this a trick question like does anybody <laughs> ever say no to that like <laughs> Like you're offering me free things. Like, like, why would I say no? Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. So, so, so I totally said yes. And, uh, uh, so I started doing that and yeah, I poured my time once the sort of COVID lockdown happened. I thought, well, I mean, I may as well just, and I'm not doing, not spending a bunch of my time with, uh, poker news anymore. So the only thing I was really doing at that time was the London road, uh, work for, uh, Lane, 
uh, with his poker clients, which was taking, I don't know, like 10 hours a week. So it wasn't like a huge, it wasn't like a huge time commitment at all. Uh, so I poured most of my time into the stream um, and actually had a really good, had a really good year as far as, you know, bankroll was concerned. I went from, I started 2020 at about 300 euros in bankroll, which I've run up from zero. I started this, uh, this thing with playing free rolls back in late 2018. Um, so I started 2020 with about 300 and I ended 2020 with 1500 in my bankroll. So like a five X, uh, like five X increase over the year, which, you know, seemed, seemed pretty good. And I put in a huge, uh, huge amount of volume, uh, for that as well. I think I went from, uh, well, actually I've got the, hang on a sec, let me just bring that up. Right. So over the course of 2020, I went from about 2,000 in total wins to over 9,000 in total wins. So pandemic has been good for your poker journey. Pandemic has been good for my poker journey and my streaming journey. Uh, the the equally, I should I should add that my average viewers have like doubled over the course of the year as well, which is which is nice to which is nice to have. It's not just a matter of especially when you're running a stream. I mean, the profit obviously matters and it matters if you're a poker player, you got to make a profit to keep playing because if you're not making a profit, then you can't keep putting money in, right? Well, you could. <laughs> I mean, I, I think you, you could be like Dan Bulzerian. I mean... True enough. Yeah, yeah, true enough. You can just, you can just play for fun. <laughs> if, you have, if you have just infinite money that you're born with, then I guess you can just play and lose and it doesn't really matter. Uh, but for aspiring poker professionals or people that take the game seriously, it's you know, you, you want to be important. a winner. <laughs> yeah. You want to be able to beat the games you're playing in. I think that's yeah. fairly important. So as a poker player, you definitely want to be a winner, but actually as a streamer, you also want to be entertaining your crowd as well, right? You want to be entertaining your audience. You want to know that, that more and more people are interested. Like I'm, I don't have any desire to be, I was actually talking about this with a friend the other day and I don't actually have any desire to be like Spraggy or Lex or someone like that. Um, I love their stuff and they do great work, but whenever I go hang out in their, ch in their channels, there's just so many people and it's just so crazy that I don't know how they have like a, like, like, I think the community aspect of it is, it tends to, tends to lack um, a little bit on those size of streams. So I want to have a good, like, I want to have a big community. But I want to have a community, and that's sort of the that's sort of the crucial point for me. Is I'd as I'd rather have, I'd rather have a smaller group of very engaged, active people that I really enjoy hanging out with, than a massive group of random people that I don't really know and that it turned my chat into a mess. Right. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think it necessarily has to be mutually exclusive. Um, I think that you can also build a community on top of the Twitch stream. So, you know, like I have Greatness Village as a Slack community and that's where like my, you know, people go to discuss cash game hand histories, learn about getting better, take the courses. That's where every, uh, all the private channels are for preflop bootcamp, fish in a barrel and uh, now Nuffle. But um yeah, so I don't think it necessarily has to be mutually exclusive, uh, but I, I do get what you're saying, where the chat just kind of scrolls infinitely, and it's really hard to even comment on what someone says because it just goes so fast. But the the 
Twitch experience for me, I've always loathed, <laughs> I guess for lack of a better word, I just speaking to somebody on a three minute delay drives me absolutely insane. And somebody will ask a question about something that happened three minutes ago. And I don't even remember the spot. I don't remember what I said or the context of the question. And so like in a perfect world, I'd just be able to stream without a delay and nobody would stream snipe me and that would be great. But like, I know that that perfect world does not exist, but yeah, like I, the Twitch experience for me is, uh, yeah, it's tough. It, it, it's a tough gig. I, I think that like, if I could do it over again, what I would probably do and just not care because I've been like three or four years ago, I kind of cared about traditionalists and what they're doing, um, in the, in the space. But now I would just like play a session in the day that lasted three hours, record it, and then just play the video back in real time and comment like that way I can do it without a delay, which yep. is my preferred method of communication. I hate the delay. That's my least favorite part of the Twitch experience. Plus, you know, in my experience, like, Poker is an intense endeavor and playing poker and talking to people at the same time and trying to be engaging is something that totally wipes out all of my energy. It, it, it becomes unfun for me after like three hours because I'm like, I just don't want to talk anymore. I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> I, I have to focus on like actually playing for thousands of dollars here instead of answering a you're responding to a silly troll in the chat box. Yeah. But cool, man. I, that, that's great that you've, you've been so diligent. You've doubled your audience. You've got a sponsor. Like, uh, I'm super happy for your development in the Twitch streets. And I assume your plan is to keep on, keep it on. Yeah. Yeah. I hope, hope to keep on, keep it on. I had uh, set a goal for 2021 of 5,000 bankroll. I figured since I, since I did a five X in 2020, I could, I could do a two and a half X in, uh, or a three, I guess about a three X in uh, 2021 without too much trouble. Um, then of course I went and had a brutal, 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 brutal January and February and lost like 500 of my, of my bankroll. So I'm, so I'm, so I'm starting from a deficit already, but uh, <laughs> so I'm actually now I'm going to have to do like a five X to, to get from my reduced bankroll back to the 5,000 that I wanted, but you know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Started to turn around a bit in March. Yeah. I've I've had discussions with the poker gods and they tell me the same thing like don't uh don't don't make these kind of plans because we're going to shit all over them. We do not care yeah. about your plans um <laughs> or your expectations. When you set expectations I think in the poker space, that's when things tend to go to hell in a handbasket straight away. Yeah, for sure. For um sure. I see that not only are you working with Unibet, but also Poker Fuse, right? Could you yes. tell me about Poker Fuse? Because it's a thing that I've been curious about. I don't really, I know that they post podcasts because they post my podcast whenever a new one mm -hmm. comes out, but that's really all I know about them. I don't know what their business model is, what they're doing, what, how they get so much traffic. I don't know anything. So could you Fair inform enough. me a little? Uh, right. Well, I started with them uh, about a month and a half ago now um, uh, as a staff writer. I was uh, I was in need of some extra I was in need of some extra work um, outside of uh, everything else, um, and it kind of came along at exactly the right time. Uh, but basically, the the focus is more along the lines of industry 
news rather than player news, if that makes sense. It makes um, sense. There's there's three there's three main forms of information that PokerFuse has. There's PokerFuse.com, which is a somewhat consumer oriented uh, site, but our articles still tend to be they're geared to the to the consumer to read, but they're about the industry rather than about the sort of players and the the like like if we talk about a tournament. The the difference between say news and fuse is on news. If I talk about a tournament, I'm talking well. Okay, uh, um, Joe Cata won the tournament for for you know this the, 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 this much. There were 600 runners. They they had you know eight to eight uh, eight million in the prize pool. Yada yada yada. This is how the tournament ran down. Uh, if I talk about a tournament on fuse, I'm almost never talking about how the tournament actually ended. What I'm talking about is. Uh, did they hit their guarantee? Did they? Uh, uh, how does this compare to previous versions of the same series? How does it compare to other series they've run this year? How does it? So it's more of a it's more of a comparison for the industry rather than talking about what happens in a specific uh, in a specific tournament. Um, Poker Industry Pro, which is the second sort of avenue of information that we have with with Fuse, is much more directed at industry with those same same sorts of ideas. Um, we would be writing about um, market numbers in various U.S. jurisdictions. Uh, I've, I've spent the last month or so writing a lot about New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and, and Michigan poker. Uh, you know, the new, the new like Bet MGM has started running in Michigan now, and uh, uh, Pennsylvania is going to be very soon with with new competition as well. Um, so looking at those sorts of market uh, market issues is a big part of the focus of Poker Industry Pro. And then there's a third sort of side bit, which is P5, which is more of our player focus kind of site. And that's going to be very quick little, very quick little items about industry gossip, I guess. Uh, upcoming tournaments, upcoming interested maybe twitter feuds maybe that sort of sort of thing will get will get talked about a little bit on uh, on the p5 stuff but our main our main focus is to give news about the poker and gaming world uh but more from an industry perspective than from a consumer perspective that makes sense why i did not understand it then so <laughs> that makes sense why it didn't resonate with me because it's not intended for me and that's probably a right. good thing that it didn't resonate with me it means that y'all are doing things the right way uh marketed towards the audience that is consuming your content so throughout this pandemic and in your twitch stream do you have any stories about your favorite twitch stream over this past year uh what have i been watching um no no well, no your, your own your, oh, you oh, have a own. twitch stream like what's if, what's the your the most positive experience or most memorable experience in your own stream i've had a couple of days where i hit over 100 viewers which was always very exciting to sort of get those numbers to get those numbers up yeah i mean i can't actually think of anything specific beyond my sort of high number days when I get rated by somebody, somebody big or something. Um, generally I find that I just really love going and hanging out with the people, whether I win or lose. And I sort of hesitate when I say that because January and February, I had a bit of a down 
time kind of emotionally. But it, you know, and it's funny, you can, I'm sure you can understand this as a poker player. If you're running bad, you get depressed. But if you're depressed, you start running bad. So it's really hard when you get out of that period to figure out, well, was I depressed? So I was playing badly or was I playing badly and that made me get depressed, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I think just as a human being or what I understand about human beings, I I kind of understand that like the negative stings a lot more than the positive feels good. And so downswings always feel much more damaging. You feel way worse on downswings than you do on upswings. And um, I was just speaking with a private coaching student about this today where like yesterday I fired up uh, because I had some free time, which is fairly rare for me um, over these last like six months to have free time to just kind of put in the session. And like, I just instantly was stuck 5,000 um, playing one K and L and I battled back and I ended up losing like a thousand and felt grateful <laughs> to lose it. Yeah. But those sort of sessions that kind of just go straight to hell in a handbasket instantly for me, I, I don't know why. I don't know if it's like the competitor in me or maybe the, you know, masochist, but like those are the moments that I feel like I have something I can prove. I have an opportunity to prove something to myself that when everything is going poorly, that I can feel my emotions. I can understand that this is not fun. And I can still continue executing my strategy in the way that I know is profitable and makes money um, instead of deviating and just going crazy. Um, Nick Howard refers to it as lunging, uh, basically lunging in spots that are inappropriate spots is, is a thing that can happen when you're emotionally compromised. Um, so yeah, for me, it was like an opportunity to see what I'm made of and to see if I can hold it together and be okay um, battling in, you know, adverse conditions. And, and so like, that is, that is a thing that is probably not unique to me, but over my 17 year career as a poker player, it's something that I found myself, I, I find myself in very often when I have these days where I just get massacred. It's like, let's see how strong I am. Let's see how much willpower I have. Um, to see if I can just battle through this instead of just like, you know, snap quitting and walking away from the computer. So yeah, it's uh, in my professional life, I would say that that's a skill that, you know, the listener should seek to develop. If you have aspirations of playing poker at a high level on a regular basis, you have to be able to feel your emotions, negative or positive, work your way through them so that you can come out the other side because, you know, it's not a very good, you're not really a professional if you play 300 hands, lose six buy-ins and then end your session for the day and don't play again for a week, right? That's uh, not conducive to making a lot of money at the end of the year. So anyway, that's my long way of just saying like, I try to view downswings and the bad from the perspective that it will inevitably make me stronger. And it's sort of like when you go to the gym, right? This is a thing that I noticed when I go to the gym at first, um, when I haven't been in a while, I'm fairly weak. And whenever I meet resistance, I'm pretty much just done, right? Like I can't, I can't overcome 
meeting their resistance. But over time, I find myself um, being able to push through the resistance because I, I, I'm strong enough, right? I'm just basically physically strong enough to feel a lot of resistance and then have the endurance to power through. And like, the only way to get there is by going through the shitty beginning of it in the first place. And that's sort of how I think about my poker journey as well. Yeah, no, I can, I can agree with that. And I think most of what you said applies to uh, where I was in January and February. And I know part of my problem was that I didn't, I, I mean, there was other things going on in my life that were, that were making it difficult to sort of focus on, making sure I was playing my best poker as well. But I know that I was getting into a mode where I was playing by sort of automat- playing on automatic in a lot of spots. And worse than that, I was, I was playing in a way where I should be winning with my aces or my kings. Why the hell am I not winning aces and my kings in these spots right so i was i was overplaying those hands then down the road and and my bigger hands i was starting to overplay them because i'm like well why can't i why can't i win with these why can't i win with these hands when you know of course with and especially with the tournament poker i mean you can go you can go weeks without a significant a significant bank to your bankroll right um Mm -hmm. and and uh, i think it's one of the advantages to being solid cash game player is that you tend to have a more stable, you tend to have a more stable earnings. Uh, you can sort of expect to, you can sort of expect to be able to have um, relatively stable earnings across a week or a, or a quarter or a month. Whereas with poker or, or, or with the tournaments, you're, you very much are at the very, at the, the mercy of the variance more because like 70% of the time, you're just going to walk away with zero. Yeah. Right? Whereas, it's uh, it, it's a yeah. different beast. I, I thought it's, to myself a few weeks back that I've been playing cards for 17 years. I've never had a day that I fired tournaments all day. I've never had like an yeah. M, a scheduled MTT day in my entire poker career. Uh, yeah. If I played MTT, it's like, you know, global has a $500 buy-in that I think I want to play. And then I just play it. And (laughs) if it turns out well, it turns out well. And if it doesn't, well, it doesn't, but I don't really play a ton of tournaments. I've never fired up a daily slate of tournaments. So I don't have, I guess the experience in dealing with those kind of crazy swings. I know, um, Luciana Manolai told me in our conversation that she went through a thousand buy-in downswing. And that to me floored me. Yeah. I didn't, I, I can't even comprehend such a thing. Like in cash, the biggest downswing I've ever been on is 23 buy-ins. This is 17 years. That's the biggest downswing. And a thousand buy-ins was like, holy shit. I can't even fathom such a thing coming from the cash game streets. Um, and I do want to go back a little bit you piqued my curiosity. What what were you going through that was in the macro that was affecting your poker poker game? Uh, so you can probably guess by the size of the stakes that I talk about when I'm playing the poker that I don't actually make a living from my poker play. 
Yes. Um, I'm, I'm a profitable player, but I don't make nearly enough to, to actually, you know, consider making a living from it. So it's a, it's a, it's a side hobby that I'm doing someday. I'd like to be, I'd like to be playing the big enough stakes so that I'm making a living at it at the moment. That's not the case. So for sort of 2018 and 2019 and the early part of 2020 go, well, well, no, I guess up until the sort of end of 2019, I had enough side gigs going with other things that I could fairly, that were, they gave me enough time flexibility that I could still put my stream on and, and still run my post, uh, poker sessions when I wanted to. Uh, and they gave me enough financial stability that I didn't have to care whether I was actually making real money out of the poker or not. Sure. Um, you know, I could just focus on it as a, as a theoretical exercise off in the corner. Of, yeah, it's a labor, know, labor of love, basically. Labor of love, exactly. Um, well, over the course of 2019 into 2020, basically all of my side gigs disappeared. We, we, had, uh, we had Poker News Canada disappearing at the beginning of uh, 2020, which sort of left me doing the Poker News live reporting and the London Road Media social media stuff. Well, as we know, the, the pandemic, although it didn't kill all of my live reporting, um, it's basically put the whole poker world into flux. Nobody really knows what's going on. And we've been doing a little bit of online reporting for it, but it's not the same. It's not the same thing, and it's not nearly, it's not nearly the same sort of level of revenue that, that you would get. Uh, so I knew that was dropping. Uh, around the, I think it was September of 2020, uh, the London Road Media decided to stop working for PokerStars, stop doing that PokerStars account, which was one of the first ones they did. To had just they basically outgrown uh, what PokerStars wanted to pay for it versus what you know thought was what they were worth, well, right? Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. What they were worth from a from a client perspective. So being unable to negotiate a better deal, uh, they decided to drop them, uh, which sort of meant my time with London Road Media was over as well because I was the poker specialist. They didn't have any poker clients anymore, so you know we. Or we spent some time trying to trying to find uh, trying to find some more, but it seemed like Lane was moving on sort of from the poker world into, into other things as well. So he wasn't all that interested in uh, keeping that out. So by sort of October, November of 2020, I'd essentially gone from having stable side gigs that helped me fund my stream to having essentially nothing coming in for uh, revenue um, other than maybe what I was making off my stream. Now, at the end of 2020, my stream was going great. My poker was going great. And I was, you know, building up to, as I said, 5X my bankroll over 2020 and thinking, well, that's going great. Um, and as 2021 dawned, I was like, well, you know, maybe, maybe I can just convert, you know, maybe that this lost revenue will just convert into me being able to actually start making a living off of my poker. And then everything just went, just started tanking at the beginning of January with the poker. And I just started losing all of my, all of my games and my sessions, I think because partly I was overconfident and I was investing so much in the, in the, in the results, right. Cause I, you know, I needed the results to, to, to live at that point, whereas I never, never had before. And I really got into a spiral where I was terrified about not having the ability to actually keep a roof over my head and, you know, food in my mouth kind of thing while at the same time not wanting to compromise the stream. But it just really got, really ended up 
depressing me quite badly where I didn't really see a way out um, of the situation that was getting worse and worse and worse. And I was burning through savings that, you know, I didn't, couldn't really afford to burn through and, and uh, what a were bunch you, of other things. What were you thinking and feeling going through this stretch? I mean, when London Road dropped stars and you are the poker person for London Road, I mean, you, I, I have to imagine you see that the writing is on the wall and another stream is about to disappear. What were your thoughts, your reactions? Um, I was terrified. Um, I mean, I really was terrified. And I was starting to look around for other for other possibilities, but I was equally kind of kind of floundering in the wind because I didn't really know what I could possibly do. I didn't actually see much of a future in the sort of poker media at that point, because what I had been doing had largely been focused on live events, which didn't look like they were going to be happening for, you know, who knows, for who knows how long. Um, so I had sort of given up on the idea that the sort of poker media was going to be a, an avenue uh, for me. And given that that was my sort of one other skill set that I could kind of capitalize on, I was floundering and I didn't really have any idea didn't really have any idea what I could do. I was I reached out to Unibet for a larger sponsorship deal, which they weren't able to do, which I totally understand. Um, I don't actually necessarily bring a lot to, to the plate to increase the uh, the deal that I currently have, and I you know I totally get that. Um, but I was sort of grasping at straws at that point, right? To try to find to try to find. And I mean, I was applying for I was applying for work. I applied for. I applied for a job as a as a uh, technical writer and a data specialist for a, a, a political party in Ontario, Canada. You know, just to show you how sort of desperate I was for for for, for, for finding revenue streams. Um, uh, it was it was you know not not a job I was looking forward to doing if I you, you know if I'd been offered it, but it was you know I was like I I, I need to find I need to find a way to pay my bills, right? Yeah, got to do something. Yeah. So, so that, you know, I was really floundering and I was, I was considering, I was considering having to get out of the poker world because I didn't think I was necessarily going to have the resources to be able to continue what I did. And yeah, I mean, I I can imagine that's very, very scary. And then, you know, you say confidence, but I, I think it's more expectations, right? Like once you commit to the stream and you commit that that's your revenue source, then you start having expectations as to how your results ought to be, um, how your daily life ought to look like. And if there's one thing, like I said before, if there's one thing you can count on in the poker space, it is that when you start setting expectations, you are going to get punched in the mouth and every, and you're just, it's just the way that it works. I don't know why it works that way, but that's just kind of the way that it works. And so what'd you do? You know, where, where are you at today as it relates to finding these revenue sources, your stream and everything? Because I, I guess February was only two months ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. And actually things have, things have improved quite a bit. I mean, uh, the, I have to say that PokerFuse was a lifeline. It came along at exactly the right moment for me where I was really, I was really floundering. Um, and uh, it sort of came out of the blue. Uh, I, I think when we, when we talked last time, I mentioned about how several times in my life, completely unexpected things have come along that, that just kind of dropped out of the blue that I had no, no previous inclination. Although, 
this example doesn't didn't actually change my entire career path uh, <laughs> like some of the other examples did. Um, this was another example where I really had no I really had no forethought about another poker media job emerging out of the woodwork. Yeah, it's a life preserver basically. Yeah. And suddenly I was going through one of my Facebook groups and, and again it was like it was almost it was almost like one of those things that's meant to be because the timing was perfect. I don't scroll. I don't sit on the Facebook groups all the time, constantly looking at, you know, for scrolling, you know, re- refreshing for new messages, yada, yada, yada. Um, I happened to pop, uh, pop over to one of mine, um, global, global poker. What is it? Uh, anyways, I happened to pop over to this one particular group and have a look and um, Mike Gentile, the guy who runs Fuse, posted a uh posted an article or uh uh, uh, posted just a little like three-line thing saying hi everyone i hope uh uh, we're looking for freelancers for iGaming content uh, dm me or email me if you're interested and i popped onto the group like five minutes after he posted that so i immediately sort of contacted him and 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 got back uh got back to him um about it and four days later he offered me a like a preliminary gig to write a few things and see see how it went. And then I, I offered me a staff writer job afterwards. So it was one of those just sort of timing things that just everything just kind of came together. Yeah, we, we can all talk shit about the, algor- the the Facebook algorithm and how much data they have and how targeted the information is. But sometimes, sometimes it, it, just it can works. be good. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> it, it can be an opportunity um, instead of just trying to target you to sell something to you. Um, that's good, man. I'm glad to hear, glad to hear that you're getting stabilized through poker fuse because I can uh, certainly empathize and understand the pressures of just relying purely on poker as your only revenue stream is it's stressful. It's a, it's, it's a life that you gotta be hard. You gotta be strong it's something that like, and that only comes through time experience and getting punched in the mouth over and over and over again before you're like, all right, fuck it. Punch me in the mouth again. Like, let's go. I'm used to it at this point. In a world where a fish dog bets the flop and you don't know what to do. One man. Coach Brad Wilson. Has a surefire plan to neutralize flop leads and rip that dunk to shreds. Nuffle. Available now. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash Nuffle. Rated R. So, John, you've used neutralized flop leads in the past 24 hours, correct? Yeah, so I got the basically the slide with all the info on it on Friday evening, and yesterday I played a session of uh, 1KNL on Ignition, and played one particular pot that I remember where a fish just donks flop turn river into me and I ended up winning with a hand that I would have folded before looking at the slide but I ended up winning like a $400 pot instead and the course is $99 so (laughs) definitely paid for itself very very quickly and I think that'll be the case for even people that aren't playing as big as 510 no limit like I think this is a course that will very very quickly pay for itself given how 
how much more donking there is at lower stakes. And I think one of the most common questions I see asked in the Greatness Village Slack group is, what do donks mean? How do I deal with donk bets? I, I think that's got to be like in the top three most frequently asked questions. You, you ought to feel very excited when somebody donks into you because some good things are about to happen. You said like you probably don't need anyone to teach the course or like you can just look at the slide and, and learn all the info yourself. I feel like you, you, Brad, will have to be there because I am I'm almost sure, sure that anybody who looks at the slide won't believe it looking at what they're supposed to do and will have to confirm with you that like you didn't make a massive typo somewhere and that this is actually what they're supposed to do because... It's pretty shocking the optimal way to deal with fish donking into you on the flop is. If you'd like to check out Neutralize Flop Leads so that you're never again confused when a fish leads into you in a single raised pot, head to chasingpokergreatness.com slash nuffle. That's chasingpokergreatness.com slash N-U-F-F-L-E. And now, back to the show. Speaking of getting punched in the mouth, speaking of resilience, and as a matter of fact, speaking of Dan Bilzerian, a good friend of yours did something pretty okay in the last couple of weeks. Tell me about Vanessa Cade's $1.5 million score. You know, and I guess I'll ask you about your relationship with Vanessa as well, you know, as friends and just the excitement level of seeing that happen. It was, I mean, it's amazing, right? It's, it's almost, un, it's almost unthinkable when one of your friends does something like that. Uh, she's the first person that I've ever known personally, who's won a million dollars in a day. Uh, well, two days, I guess, but you know, <laughs> um, splitting hairs. Yeah. Splitting hairs. Right. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. Uh, and of course, as a poker writer, I sort of look at that and go, you couldn't, couldn't have scripted you you literally could not have scripted that whole thing better right no. if you'd last year if you'd written that out sent it to hollywood they would have they would have sent it back to you and said this is completely unrealistic i know we don't do realistic poker in movies but this is like beyond even our unrealistic poker you know to to to, <laughs> to write the story um and yet there it is because yeah i mean after basically being told by bill zarian that nobody knows who she is and that you know and much worse things that I won't, I won't repeat here. She's the one that everybody's talking about now. Right. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not, uh, um, definitely, definitely people know who she is. Right. Uh, definitely people know who she is. And although people still know who, uh, Blitz is, it's definitely not come off particularly well from, from his perspective. Well, uh, him nor, nor GG, GG, because, yeah. uh, GG, sort of infamously at this point canceled her affiliate account. Um, that was generating a couple, couple thousand dollars a month that she had created uh, like three or four years back. It was a very public ordeal. So it, it ended up with GG, I think the main recipient of the egg on the face at the end of it. And ACR kind of made out like bandits because mm. they had just sponsored her. Yeah, And so it, it was really just a great story all around from everything that I've heard. Vanessa has not been on the podcast, but you have, Aaliyah has, and yeah, everything I've seen and heard, yeah. just a, an amazing human being. And yeah, I was right there with you about the Hollywood script because I was like, 
why didn't I follow up with Vanessa like a year ago? Like we, we chatted about her coming on the show and then I got busy and I didn't follow up. And then I was like, Oh my God, like this is the biggest story in poker probably of the entire year. And I don't even know how to contact her. I I don't know. Like she's going to be so overwhelmed by media requests. I have to imagine. I do think that like CPG is on her radar. She followed me on Twitter. It's just, I have to imagine she's got a lot on her plate, right? Like you win 1.5 million, you're embroiled in this very public controversy. Um, It's just, it's a great story and you don't have to be, yeah, you don't, you don't have to be splitting the atom to recognize this is a story that you want to tell. You want to have this person on your show. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's the sort of person that I, that, I think people want on their show regardless because she's very bubbly. She's very energetic. She's a, she's a, a gorgeous person, like, like physically gorgeous. So she looks good on the, you know, everything. And she's super intelligent and got, you know, got a lot of really, really good, uh, really good views on, on the world. So, so yeah, I think just in general, but now of course it's, that's, that's through the roof because, you know, there's, there's the extra reasons to want her to want her on the show now. Um, Yeah. I mean, I've known her for, what I guess uh, not quite ten years now. Uh, we first met in the sort of Calgary poker world back in the early zeros, I guess, early twenty, you know, twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen, something like that. I would, I would think, uh, when I was starting to cover uh, poker in Calgary, and she was a regular on the live uh, on the live circuit there. And yeah, we've hung out a lot and been, you know, since she moved out of the city in Calgary. I think she's been away from Calgary for since like 2017 or so. So we haven't actually seen each other in person for a few years now that I think about it. Uh, but we're still, you know, quite quite close on social media and chat every once in a while. And, you know, we pop up on each other from, from time to time to uh, to chat and go on. And I just, I, I find her one of the, one of the most refreshing people in my life and in poker in general, just because she is so, she's just so honest and, upfront about what she thinks and about what's going on and you can always tell that she's put a lot of thought into what she thinks and what she you know what her views are it's not like she's just spewing stuff out of her mouth the way we all know some people in the industry might do <laughs> let's just say human beings might human do beings yes yes human beings can do that uh but you know she's very well uh like i like there was a she was on the um uh, her her recent her recent appearances on the Chip Race and their Lock In YouTube podcast are both, I think, some of the best content those guys have put out. Um, not at all uh, least because of Vanessa Cade's amazing um, amazing work uh, on them uh, as well. Um, well. So yeah, I I honestly think she's uh, she's somebody that I'm hoping this helps propel her sort of into the top tier of the poker world now. Yeah, I mean, me too. And just knowing Aaliyah, uh, knowing Aaliyah, having conversations with her, I, I kind of have formed an image of Vanessa as being like just a, typically an upbeat person, somebody that you're happy to see in a poker room, somebody that you want to be around, just that type of human being. And, you know, I think that those types of human beings, I wish them all the success in the world, especially in their poker careers, because they only bring positivity. They're amazing ambassadors of the game. They bring people in, they care 
Um, you know, you mentioned about the stuff that she talks about has been thought about. Well, you know, it's strategic, right? It's like playing a poker hand where you have various data points and various opinions and you you weigh them against each other and you really look and see what's happening so that you can have a clear picture. And I think that it's increasingly rarer and rarer that people go through the trouble of doing that um, versus, you know, just basically hearing an opinion or hearing something and not going deep on the problem and just kind of regurgitating the information that they were presented with. And that's, uh, it, it, honestly, going about it in a thoughtful way is a lot more work. It's a lot harder to find the sure. tru- truth of things because the truth is not always readily apparent and narratives distort truth. And so basically that's my long-winded way of saying that it makes a lot of sense that she brings a lot of value to whatever show she goes on because when she speaks, there's a reason behind the opinions that she has and there's a reason behind the statements that she makes that is very, very strong and useful to the listener and to the host themselves. Yeah. Well, and a great example of that, and I think this is sort of one of the things that you see on sort of both sides of the women in poker kind of argument. On the one side, you see the people who, and I mean, I'm not really criticizing either side necessarily, but I think it shows how deeply Vanessa thinks about things. On the one side, you have you have you have women in the world who go, well, yes, I encounter a lot of abuse, but it's like one percent of the population, right? It's like it's it's like a very tiny percent. Most of the people I encounter in a poker room are very nice and very friendly, and it's like one percent. Um, Vanessa takes that and points it out, and she says, "Yeah, I'm not arguing that it's like everybody I meet in a poker room is abusive to me." But let's say I spend eight hours playing cash in a in a poker room, and in those eight hours, I move tables three or four times because you know tables get broken or whatever. And I maybe interact with forty or fifty people over the course of that day. Well, what does that mean if one percent of them are crappy assholes? What that means is that every two days, I'm going to work and running into a crappy asshole that I have to deal with, and that's really degrading and damaging to the to the psyche so yeah on the one hand you're right the numbers are really tiny but it takes somebody like vanessa to dig deep deep into that and to really put that into perspective and show you that yeah that it may it may still be tiny but you interact with a lot of those people through the course of a day and you're gonna you know you're gonna interact with three or four of those guys a week and it's not gonna be a very pleasant week for you ever in the poker room (laughs) for sure and kind of going back to like the COVID discussion earlier, right? Where it was like, basically it's a different version of the flu and, you know, COVID, COVID's a thing that I was right about, but do not take much pleasure in being right about it because I saw how efficiently it was spreading. I saw that asymptomatic for two weeks and I realized quite quickly that this is a thing that is a problem and it's going I don't see of any way to just get rid of it overnight, um, which I'm not a <laughs> I'm not a survivalist. I'm not a conspiratorial human, and I've never actually had that opinion about any previous pandemic. But like, quite frankly, the human race is better off with something more deadly like Ebola that just takes people out because then it is an obvious it is an obvious fear and it's visceral. 
when you say like, oh, the the preliminary numbers were something around three percent, right? Like, uh, one one percent death rate, one to three percent, something like that. Like, I recognized right away that well, one percent is actually a pretty fucking giant number in this context of you know just a, a billion people. One percent is ten million, and that's a big number as it relates to human souls and human lives. And so, yeah, like basically. 1% of the population are crappy that she plays poker with, but you interact with way over 100 people in a day as it relates to just walking past them in the poker room or going to the bathroom or buying food or just standing in line, whatever it is. So, yeah, and I, I think that like the onus, the onus at the end of the day ought to fall on the poker rooms themselves to and the dealers. They have people who are out there who are yeah. witnessing and observing this type of behavior. And I think that really that's the process that ought to be put into play is the priority of the poker rooms themselves to police these types of things and actual give actual punishment to this uh, abusive type of behavior because it, it just it's not good for the game. It doesn't grow the game and it's short-sighted to it's short-sighted for, you know, somebody like GG to have Dan Bolsarian on board and then have him calling Vanessa names very publicly. Um, well, you might get some of Dan Bolsarian's audience, which I may alienate myself from some of my podcast listeners, but I have to imagine Dan Bolsarian's audience is an audience that you would like to play poker against um, just because of the demographic. And like, I get that for like, I see the strategic merit of onboarding somebody like, like Bolzerian, but at the end of the day, I don't think he's really growing the game of poker. I think he has no interest in growing the game of poker. I think that he's always been interested in taking as much out of poker as he possibly can without giving very much back. So it's short-sighted to bring someone like that on instead of people who are actively ambassadors of the game who want to clean up the game and make it yeah just make it a more fun experience for everyone because we see that we see the value in making poker a fun experience in public card rooms because then people come back and play which is obviously the end goal right the end goal is not to keep this one person happy for the next 7 hours so that you can rake them and let them be shitty to everybody. It's removing them, passing up the rake, and instead focusing on a good user experience so that people come back and then your card room has more regular players, which is obviously a better long-term strategy. So yep. yeah, I think it's just a, a short-sighted, short-sighted thing that happens in a lot of card room management where it's something that could be prevented. I, I can't, you know, it, it's it obviously happens in a lot of different environments, but you can put protocols in place to combat it i mean at least minimally i've never seen a dealer say anything to anyone about being shitty to anybody unless it was specifically shitty to the dealer yeah that's the only that's also the only the only time i've i've really ever seen it as well and i agree i think that it's down to the uh, it's down to the poker rooms themselves and i mean i think going back to the bills area thing as you as you said i think gg bears a strong responsibility for how they've handled or not handled uh him i mean especially that most recent statement where they came out and they said essentially well we can, we don't have any control over what our ambassadors say on their own social media account and i'm like well 
That may well be true. You certainly have control over whether or not you choose to associate with them after they say what they say on the social media account. And you certainly have control over your reaction to what they say on social media. So yeah, when they came out like two weeks ago and said, well, we didn't agree with what he said, but you could have said that, you could have said that immediately after he said it, you could have, you know, uh, uh, responded to his tweet saying, you know, Dan, this is probably not the best, this is probably not the best way to, to, to do PR. And furthermore, if you actually have an ambassador on your roster that you can't get rid of for being shitty to your, uh, you know, to the general public, you seriously need a lawyer looking at the contracts you write for your ambassadors, because there is a uh, there's a conduct clause in pretty much every ambassador's contract that I've that I've talked to that says if you do something that brings the site uh, into disrepute, we will we will send you out. You know, this contract is null and void after that point. Do you think um, do you think that should apply in Vanessa's case? Because she she was very public in her disagreement with the onboarding of Bulzarian and the way that they handled things. Do you think that? Do you think that she, her contract, her affiliate contract, should have been terminated? Uh, well, so I think that in a perfect world with an operator who is not compromised, the sorts of things Vanessa was saying about them probably does warrant the idea that they just want to sever business ties. Okay, but. Th that's not really the situation that we were in with Gigi. Had they had they severed her ties back at when they first hired Bilzerian, if they had severed her ties and then chastised slash severed ties with Bilzerian after he was abusive to her, I would go, okay, I'm not thrilled that you got rid of Vanessa, but you have a consistent policy that says if you if you do something that brings our site into disrespect, we will get rid of you. And it was applied to both Bilzerian and Vanessa. The big issue I have at this point is that they've they've um, punished Vanessa for expressing opinions that much of the poker world and the world at large shares, while not punishing Bilzerian in any way that we can see for pretty abusive, sexist, misogynist opinions. I mean... That's problematic to my mind. <laughs> well, yes. And like, let's be totally clear about that. I think they, you have to know what you're getting yourself mm -hmm. into when you bring Bulzarian on as a sponsor. This is very obvious that yeah. sexism, misogyny is part of the package when you sign that contract, when you offer that deal. And yeah, it's obviously not uh, across the board, was not applied across the board. And it, it's just, uh, I don't know. It, it's, I guess we don't live in a perfect yeah. world, right? We, we don't yeah. live in a perfect world. The things that should happen aren't always the things that do happen. And I think the reality was that Bulzerian represented more business to their platform. And because he represented more money, um, it was the, de the decision that they made was to sever ties with Vanessa and side with Bulzerian just purely 
based on monetary concerns. And, you know, that's, that's a route that I guess businesses are justified in taking. But again, it's, it feels short-sighted for the brand that you are building and what you're putting out there in the world. And also when you do things, when you do other things to try to kind of put a bandaid on the, you know, the shotgun shot to the gut, it looks suspect. It looks like you're just trying to play a little game of PR, which is probably not so good, but you know, at this point, I, I don't really know, to be honest. I don't know what any platform is thinking or what any platform the end goal is for them because they, it just seems like it's all over the map. I, I would say I, I do give GG credit for one thing, and that is they've managed to build a brand very, very, very quickly mm. in the poker space to where when they signed DNEGS, I had no idea what a GG poker was. And from there, in the last year and a half or so, they've managed to host the WSOP and just built their brand in just this massive, spectacular way that platforms across the world ought to be jealous of. So they've yep. done a good job of that. But I think that there's also the possibility here that GG as a company, it's likely that their management team has not grown as the company has scaled. And so that's another problem of they just don't, they don't have the experience or the wisdom or the management team in place to handle all these kind of PR crises or to hand, to like think through the potential blowback um, of these decisions. Yeah, no. And I think that's, I think that's actually a very, a very good way of uh, very good way of looking at it. They have like the growth since 2019 is just, ridiculous now part of that obviously was the sort of pandemic and G, the wsop coming together with them last year um but even that the 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 fact they were even in a position to be the provider like i was as someone fairly familiar with the industry i was pretty shocked when uh when when they went with with gg poker for wsop last year because it has to link really closely to negranu i mean he, yeah what negranu has contacts within the WS or WSOP to kind of connect the brands. And I think that likely that strategic relationship that they, they made with him led to the WSOP. And plus, I mean, Negranu lends credibility to whatever brand he is sponsoring as one of the most influential human beings in the poker space. But I don't know. I, I don't know what to think of it. I've never played on GG. All I've seen is the reports and what people say on social media and all of that. And I guess, um, yeah, I guess I, I don't know. I, I hope that they do better. I hope that they are able to kind of mature and deal with these situations a little bit better in the future. Who knows? The jury's still out on that. But I, I just want to say, like, co- congratulations to Vanessa Cade because you couldn't find a more deserving human being that rip, ripped off a $1.5 billion win. And, yeah, it was just kind of a perfect uh, sort of Hollywood-esque ending. Um, well, not ending, I guess, but the end of the beginning of that saga, um, as they say. And uh, Lyle, we'll, uh, I'll ask you a couple more questions and then we'll, we'll sure. kind of wrap up our round two conversation. It's been you know, really good chatting with you and catching up after a year and a half. 
So have you ever strongly believed something about poker only to reverse course later on? And if so, what led to that change of belief? Well, I think one of the, I think sort of one of the fundamental changes of belief that every poker player has to go through at some point in their career. And I won't say this was particularly recent for me, but it's recent enough that it's during this sort of streaming endeavor with Unibet Poker over the last couple of years, uh, where you, you initially believe that the two cards that you have that are down are the most meaningful thing in your, in determining your poker, the, the, the strength of your poker hand, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's what poker looks like from the outside. And that's the way most people start looking at poker. They'll go, okay, well, I've got D seven. So I'm going to fold that. Oh, I've got aces. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, put in a raise with that. Um, the, you don't actually start playing poker though, until you realize that the two cards you have in front of you are just a small part of the strength of your hand, the position you're at at the table, the, the relative stack sizes of the table, the position you're at in the tournament, the, the, you know, the structure of the tournament as a whole, if you're playing tournament poker, um, the, the, the other people that are sitting around with you, uh, you know, what reads and things like that are all equally as important. So when you look down, just because you have D seven, it's not an automatic fold. just because you have aces is not an automatic raise, right? It's not an automatic shove. It's not an, it's not an automatic through that. I'm all in kind of, kind of thing. Right. Right. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest changes that everybody has to go through to become a better poker player is recognizing that there's a heck of a lot more going on than just the actual hand that, that you and other people at the table are making. Right. There's, Many, 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 many data points that all merit prioritization and what your two cards are are just a single data point that can influence you. Maybe not that, even the most important one. Maybe, well, <laughs> I don't know. It, 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 sometimes it is and sometimes it's yeah. not, right? I yeah, think that, exactly. that's sort of the, the fun part of poker is like there is never one data point that is the absolute priority it changes based on the situation and how you're able to assess each data point and then assign which one ought to be the highest priority. So, you know, I guess, I guess if there one was one data point, like if somebody turns their cards over and shows you, I guess that's like, that's a pretty good one to uh, develop a strategy around. But outside of knowing exactly what your opponent's cards are, it's always a process of prioritizing the information, trying to figure out which piece is the most important so that you can act on that one. And like you said, it starts out by looking at your hand purely. And then over time, you kind of realize, oh, like the absolute strength of my hand isn't so important compared to the relative strength of my hand. That's really what is important. And then, you know, it just kind of snowballs from there. But yeah, 100%. Poker is a game of data points. And like, I think honestly, it's probably too much for a new person to even comprehend or not even comprehend, but like work through, right? It's almost like you're really thirsty and you get a drink of water from a fire hydrant. Like you just, so many inputs and things coming at you that you can't really make sense of it. You're just overwhelmed by the inputs and like, the more experience you have, the more hands you play, the better you get at navigating all those inputs and sort of seeing the data points more clearly and objectively. Like it took me years to think about 
poker in terms of ranges instead of in terms of hands. But I think that's like, I don't think you can sit down and teach somebody who's never played poker before ranges. You just, you just can't, you just can't teach that off the start. You have to teach them about hands first. And then after they play for a while, you're like, okay, well, you know what? You don't actually look at the hand you're playing right now. You look at all the hands you could be playing right now. (laughs) But if you try to explain that to a new poker player, their, their eyes are just going to glaze over completely. And they're going to go, well, what the hell do you mean? All the hands I could, that's, I'm not playing all the hands I could be playing. I'm playing this hand. (laughs) Well, yeah. And it even, you could take it a step further to people who've been playing a very long time. And when it, in the instance of like making a river call, understanding that you're going, you're supposed to lose very often. And villain only has one hand that is a part of their range and really you're calling against their range and that's what ultimately matters so like the result of the hand is almost insignificant whether you win or lose it's the decision behind or it's the thought process behind the decision that you made that is ultimately most valuable and it's a really hard thing for human beings to kind of wrap their mind around but just kind of have to in the in the poker world um Cool, man. And uh, final question here. Where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience, if they want to check out your stream, they want to learn more about Lyle, where do they go? All right. Check me out at uh, twitch.tv slash Elron66. That's E-L-R-O-N-6-6. That's where you can mostly catch me. Although Saturdays, I do stream for the Unibet Poker stream team uh, now as well on their channel, Unibet Poker twitch so you can check me out on both of those uh both of those places um and i'm also on twitter as lron6900 and facebook as lyle bateman so you can find me any of those places and say hello if you want i'm uh i'm definitely interested in uh come check us out i mean one of the focuses i have for the for the mothership poker is that i i gear it towards trying to bring new players in and I gear it towards talking about small stakes, micro stakes uh, players, because I think that's the market that really generates new new business for the poker clients. And it's it's a market that's generally generally overlooked. Um, so one of the things I do is I run low stakes games, uh, like I've got 10 cent, 25 cent buy-in games that run regularly with tickets to a one euro and a five euro buy-in um, game that runs on on Saturday for me. Uh, that's specifically intended to help other people. Like when I was when I was back starting my my journey as a free roller and a and a small sta- you know nano stake guy in Unibet. Um, I'm trying to give tournaments that would appeal to me at that time, and you know to help build up some of the smaller stakes crowd. Uh, so that's really my focus uh with the stream is i want to i want to encourage the people that are playing 10 cent you know that are that have like a 15 dollar bankroll and they're playing 10 cent 25 cent buy-in games um i want to be encouraging them and i want to be giving them opportunities to build that bankroll awesome man great to hear very appreciative for you and your energy and yeah we'll do this again hopefully hopefully it you know, in about a year or so, there won't be anything quite as dramatic to talk about. Uh, I hope my fingers are uh, crossed. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we'll uh, hopefully we'll have somewhat of a normal year. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'll talk to you soon, sir. Sounds good. Thanks a lot.
have a good have a good one brad thanks for that thanks for the time Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.